<laughs> Everybody's like, oh, no, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, I mean, we'll see. But uh, anyway, um, we're going to be going through probably three main passages, and we'll be going back and forth between them uh, this morning. So if you have your Bibles and you want to open them up, uh, open your Bibles up to 1 John chapter 2. Uh, this will be verses 15 through 17. Uh, that's the main passage this morning. Uh, a couple of other passages that we will be flipping back and forth uh, from is Genesis chapter 3 and Luke chapter 4. So 1 John chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, and Luke uh, 4. Okay, and so if you have your bookmarks and stuff, uh, that'll make it easier on you this morning. All right, uh, we've been going through uh, 1 John before uh, I left for vacation. Uh, last, last time I preached, we talked about uh, how you can know that you're saved. Uh, this morning kind of continues that thought, this, that thought this morning about the behavior of a Christian, right? How we should behave in this world. Um, and so the main idea this morning is that uh, John is telling his readers, do not love the world. And it seems like a very simple statement, uh, but understand the word for love there. Uh, John is using the agape love there. So it's the strongest form of love. And so it's the same love that we're supposed to have for God, right? And so John is saying, basically, you can't love the world and love God at the same time. And so before we get into this passage this morning, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, uh, I thank you so much for this church, Lord. I, I thank you for bringing us back safely. Um, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would keep our hearts and our minds open to what you have to teach us this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you just take me out of the way and let your word shine through. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So uh, first main point this morning, you cannot love the world and love God. It's a pretty, again, pretty simple statement. And as I already said, uh, the word for love here is the agape love. Let's go ahead and read First uh, John chapter 2, just verse 15 right now. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Okay? So if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So if you say you're a Christian and you say you love God, but you are loving the things of the world, right? And we're going to get into those things in a moment because these, there's three categories that reoccur uh, in the Bible with this. Uh, if you are loving those things, you cannot love the world at the same time. Uh, that's, that's it. You know, God occupying you and you, the world occupying you, can't, those things can't go together. It's like water and oil, right? Uh, they're repellent of each other. Um, so the reason why I have uh, three passages this morning uh, is one is about the fall of man, and we'll see examples there. Uh, the other, uh, the main passage that we're going through, right, is John, John's instructions to us. And then also we have the example of Christ, because Hebrews says that he was in all ways tempted yet as, we, as we are yet without sin, right? And so we have Jesus as an example for us. Um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So you can't serve two masters, right? So you can't be 
in the world and loving God at the same time. Right? So that is the main idea this morning. So why can we not love the world and love God? That's, this is what John kind of answers for us. Like I said, it's like water and oil. They don't mix. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the three categories of sin. Every sin falls into one of these three categories. And so you can take everything back uh, to, the, to these three. You know, you want, you want something else that someone else has? Well, lust of the eyes, right? You're, you're looking at another woman, that's a very simple one, lust of the eyes. Um, even things that are the lust of the flesh, right? Uh, that's when you act upon certain things. The pride of life is when you think yourself better than others or better than what you deserve. And so uh, first this morning, uh, we're going to talk about the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. And so this starts all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, uh, when Eve sees the fruit, right? It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, right? And stop there just for a moment. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. And so when, when uh, the serpent is tempting Eve, right, uh, she then looks at the fruit and she goes, okay, it's good for food. I want that, right? And so the, her flesh wanted it. Jesus was tempted in this very same way, and yet we know that he didn't fall to this temptation. So if you go to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4 here. It says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, uh, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Uh, but Jesus answered, answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. <clears throat> Something interesting about this is the devil, you know, as smart and wily as he is, doesn't change his tactics. All the time, he will tempt us with these three main things, right? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. So what does he tempt Jesus with right here in these first four verses? Jesus is hungry. So he's like, okay, if you're really the son of God, turn this stone into bread. Now, would that have in and of itself been a bad thing? Not really, right? But because the devil was tempting Jesus to exercise power as the son of God, really kind of corrupting uh, the purpose of all of this, that became a bad thing. So the, you, know, you think about this, right? And the, this is just a side note here. Uh, I remember when sports games, like in high school and all of that, used to always be on like Fridays. We'd get out of school early, we'd go to these sports games. Now, a lot of times you see them on Saturdays and Sundays. So is sports in and of itself a bad thing? No. But when it's taken the place of God and serving God, then it becomes a bad thing, right? 
And so is being, feeding yourself when you're hungry a bad thing? No. But when it's, if it's taking the place of God there, then it's a bad thing. And so uh, it's a very simple thing. Now, these only get worse one right after another. Uh, lust of the flesh and then lust of the eyes gets, okay, now it's in your heart, right? So lust of the flesh is like this uh, basic instinct to take care of yourself. Uh, and so if you do bad things just to do that, that's still sin, right? But now lust of the eyes, that's, that's kind of where a symptom of the heart, right? So let's look at lust of the eyes here. So let's go to back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, where man failed, right? It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, right? So good for food, right? And now she's like, oh, that's pretty. I want that, right? That is lust of the eyes there. Jesus, again, was tempted in this same way. And so we failed at this. We still fail at this all the time, right? Ooh, that's pretty. I want that, right? Like, how often does that happen? But Jesus was tempted in the same way. Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. It says, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give to you in their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. So, kind of interesting here. Uh, the devil's pretty tricky, right? So, who was put in charge of the earth? The devil, right? He was, he's the prince of this world, right? Uh, he's the prince and power of the air. So he's like, oh yeah, this is mine and I'm going to give it to you. Whose is it really? It's Jesus's. Like, he, it, it's already his. So the devil is tempting Jesus with something that already belongs to him. But think about this, though. When Jesus is there, how easy would it have been for Jesus to say yes, and that, you know, then he wouldn't have had to go to the cross and all of that stuff. But that wasn't God's purpose, right? And so he's like, no, get behind me. You should worship the Lord your God only, right? And so that's appealing to Jesus' eyes. He takes him up onto this mountain and shows him everything that could be his, really everything that's his already. Now, after this, we see the pride of life. So the pride of life. So we're talking about the flesh. That's it, that guttural desire. And then the lust of the eyes. That's where it's, it's seeped into your heart, right? Now we see the pride of life. So I, I think myself better than others. Or I want this to make me better, right? Again, we are no better than Adam and Eve here, right? We're from them. If they did, so think about this. Adam and Eve were created without a sin nature. And they, when tempted, sinned. We are born with a sin nature. So do we think we have, we're already better than them, right? No. So let's look at Genesis 3, 6 again. So it says, uh, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and then notice this. 
and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So it was a tree desirable to make one wise, right? So, you know, they, they weren't content with what God gave them. They weren't content with things. They wanted to be better, right? What, what, what was Satan's temptation to her? That she would be like God, right? So, oh, you know, that's a, appealing to our pride. Again, man failed at this and still fails all the time. Uh, you see this throughout the Bible, too. You look at the Babel incident. That was a big exercise in pride, right? Uh, every time we see tall buildings, right? Uh, why, do, why do the architects build these tall buildings? To show off, right? This is all, it's, it's, it's all about pride. This goes all the way back to the beginning. Now let's look what Jesus does here. In Luke chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. It says, Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Okay? Remember, Jesus is already supposed to be the high priest, right? So, uh, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels uh, to charge over you, to keep you. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. If you're really the Son of God, right, show your power. Show your power. Show, show that the angels aren't going to let the, anything happen to you. That's the devil appealing to Jesus' pride, right? Or trying to appeal to his pride. And so we see these categories of sin here. Uh, again, every sin that we ever commit is in these categories. A lot of them boil down to pride. Um, you know, even when we're desiring other things, you know, you talk about the lust of the flesh and all of this stuff. A lot of that still boils down to pride. You know, when you steal something, why, why are you not content with what God has given you, right? That's pride. When we rail against God, when we're, when we're upset about things happening in our life and we say, God, why did you do this to us? You know, accusing God of things. Do you really think that you deserve anything better? We're all wretched, awful sinners, aren't we? So there's three categories of sin. Man is tempted in all three categories all the time and fails. Jesus, though, was tempted in all three categories and did not sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 tells us this. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So this is not saying that Jesus is going to experience every single temptation that you ever experience in your life. That's, that's just not what happened. But what this verse is referring to is that when Jesus was taken into the wilderness and tempted by the devil, that he was tempted in all three of those categories. The devil tried to get him in all three of those. And that's what makes Jesus awesome for us, is because he's our high priest. He, he experienced everything, that we, all the categories that we could ever experience, right? But he didn't sin in any of those. All of the priests that uh, the Jews had had before Jesus, remember they had to make sacrifices and offerings for themselves as well, because they're, they're men just like us. 
So Jesus can both understand us, but yet didn't sin like us. And that's an awesome thing. And so what, is this, what does this have to do with why we can't love the world and love God? Well, because all of these sins, right, all of these categories of sin, they are fundamentally opposed to God. They're completely the opposite. Jesus actually didn't do any of that when he was tempted by the devil because he couldn't. I, I believe that if Jesus had given in to any of that, the world would just cease to exist because the Bible says that, uh, you know, that he holds all things together, right? And so we would just wouldn't be here, right? It can't happen. So we cannot love the world and love God because the things of the world are fundamentally opposed to God. I've heard people say, you know, well, you know, I hope the rapture happens way far off, not in my lifetime, right? Because I like what I have here, right? I like my house. I like this. I like that. You really don't think heaven's going to be better? I mean, if you're, if you're really a believer, you should be looking forward to that day. And maybe the only reason why you should hope that it's further off is you should be begging for more time to reach more people, right? That's the only reason why we should want to be here in this world, is to see more people saved. Not because we love the things of the world, not because we love all of our possessions and all of those things. We're supposed to be looking forward to heaven, right? And so this leads me to the next point here. We need to value eternity over temporary things. We need to value eternity over temporary things. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, it says, And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. That's an awesome thing. So let's, let's unpack that a little bit. The world is passing away, right? The, that's, a, that's a very simple thing to understand. Sometimes it's hard for us to really you know, kind of stick to that because life to us seems like it's a long time. And so people want, you know, we're, we're very, everybody's all about instant gratification nowadays, right? Uh, my grandma will laugh at that because she always said I was all about instant gratification. So <laughs> I want what I want. I want it now, right? <laughs> so anyway, but we need to be focused on the things that are afar off. And funny enough, that's, those are things that are hardest to focus on. But we have to understand that even if we live our life, right, and, uh, if, if the rapture doesn't happen before we die, this world is going away at some point. Everything that's here, everything that we would consider valuable on this earth is going to be gone. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it uh, will be burned up. Therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be uh, in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening, uh, or sorry, hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, uh, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. So he's saying, knowing that that's coming, what kind of a person are you going to be? What kind of a believer are you going to be? Are you going to be someone that looks forward to God's coming? Or are you going to be trying to just hold on to what you have here? 
That's what Peter's talking about there. Another thing that we have to understand, right? Just like Satan declared to Jesus, Satan and darkness rule this world. So even the things that we think are good in this world, the worldly things that we think are, oh, there's no problem with that, right? Satan and darkness rule this world. They're over everything. John chapter 12, verse 31 says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Talking about Satan. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So let me ask you this. If, if Satan and darkness are in charge of everything, right, in this world, they're running the show here. Can we really expect that there's really any good things for us here? No. We need to be storing up treasures for ourselves in heaven, right? What is their ultimate destination? What is, what is the destination of these rulers of darkness and Satan? It's hell. The devil, uh, sorry, Revelation 20.10 says, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So all of this stuff is going away. All the, these rulers are going away. We shouldn't be following in their footsteps. These things may seem good now, but the destination that they lead to is the lake of fire. You know, I, I've talked about this before. This is a good analogy uh, about sin in this world. You know, sin is a jail cell, right? The, the door of that jail cell is wide open, right? You can leave at any time. You can, you know, the, your sinful life, you can accept Jesus. You can leave at any time in your life. But one day, that jail, in, in, sorry, that jail cell also uh, is the most comfortable place that you'll ever be in, Right? You want to, it, it wants to keep you in there. It's enticing you, right? You think these things are good in that jail cell. But one day, that jail cell is going to slam shut. And all of those comforts and all of those things that you thought were good, those are going to be gone. And it's going to be replaced with torment. Don't be in that place when you die. That's why we have to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We have to be freed uh, from bondage there. Take the exit, right? So, what are we going to value in this life? Are we going to value the things of the world? All of the lusts and giving in to all of those things? Are we going to be storing up our treasures in heaven? Focused on the things that God has prepared for us. We need to place our treasure in heaven. This is what uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. It says... Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where, the, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven uh, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So think about that, though. All the stuff that we have here, you have clothes, right? And, you know, everybody buys new clothes all the time now, so it's, uh, so it's not as big of a thing. But, you know, 
a lot of times people, you know, you'd hang your clothes up in the, uh, in the closet, and you'd have to put some mothballs in there because why? The moths would eat your clothes. This, happened, this is a thing that people used to have to deal with uh, in some places of the world, probably still do. Or that it, you, know, you think you have all these precious metals and stuff. Well, all of the precious metals in the world here, they'll get corroded, they'll get rusted, they'll be gone one day. All of that goes away. Even, you know, we think about putting our money in the bank, right? You know, you put, putting your money in the bank is probably one of the worst things that you could do uh, because inflation, right? Uh, even, even what you think, that number that you see in the bank, that gets less and less valuable every day. It can buy less and less things every day, right? So you're, put, you're storing up treasures for yourself here. It's all going to go away. You store up treasures for yourself in heaven, that stays there for you. If you were looking forward to what God has for you, none of that goes away. It's all incorruptible, right? Nobody's going to steal it from you. James talks about this with the rich. Uh, he's talking about the example of people that do store up uh, treasure, treasures for themselves here. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, it says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries are co- that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. So not only, you know, that we're going to lose those things, but that those things that we're going to lose from here, those are going to be a witness against us, right, from God. That's a pretty um, awake, uh, uh, eye-opening moment for us. It says, you have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers, uh, who mowed your fields, which kept you back, or sorry, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers, uh, have reached the, the Lord, the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived on earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Now, this is talking about Jesus, too. This is talking about all the people who were there saying, crucify him, all of this, right? The people who had power at that time. So these people were storing up treasures for themselves at the expense of others. That's a pretty uh, scary thing. That's what it's talking about with being witnesses against them. But you think about that. We should not be focused on keeping things here. We need to be generous. We're called to be generous uh, in other places in the Bible as well. So here's the whole point of this morning. You can't love the world and love God. You have to pick one or the other. You can't be a fence sitter. You know, God says if you're lukewarm, you'll be spit out of his mouth, right? We, the re- reason is because it's like water and oil. They're complete opposites. We need to be focused on eternity and not life here, right? So here's the whole point. Our lives are very short. You know, we think, we think it's a long time. But our lives are very short. We need to not waste our lives holding on to things that we're going to lose anyway, right? It's, it's just going to, it's like holding on to water, right? It's just going to slip through our hands. James chapter 4, 
verse 14 says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Right? Our lives are just a vapor. It, you can't hold on to vapor, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to vanish away. And, you know, have you ever tried to talk to a young person about storing money for their retirement, right? <laughs> All the older people are laughing in here because it's like impossible to talk to a young, get a young person to save money for retirement, right? Uh, but think about that. That's because they're like, oh, that's so far away. I don't need to do that. Well, how, how many older people still think like the younger people when it comes to storing up treasures in heaven? Because you can't see it right now. It's going to be there for you when you die. So it's the same thing as trying to save for your retirement, right? We need to be storing up for what's going to happen in heaven. That's eternity, right? We're like this little speck compared to what is going to happen later. So why would we be focused on the small part and not on the long run? Just something to think about. And we just need to be focused on God. So as the pianist and song leader come this morning, don't waste your time here on earth. Because there is one thing you cannot do after you die. And that's repent. That's it. You, you, when you stand before God, you may say you're sorry, but you can't change and turn to the Lord when you die. It's too late. The time for repentance is now. You know, and when you leave here, you don't know what's going to happen to you. Um, I had a boss one time, and he, he would always say, you know, don't walk around with a signed check, right? Because you don't know what's going to happen to you when you walk out the door. Uh, you know, anyway, he used to call it the trash truck scenario. He said, you could walk out the door uh, today and get hit by a trash truck going by, and then your life is over, Right? And so the thing with the sign check thing was uh, I was handling money. And he was like, you don't want to have a sign check because you could get robbed on your way to the bank, right? So sign it right when you get to the bank. But we think about that with our salvation, though. If you, when you walk out this door, actually, even right now while you're sitting in the pew, you do not, you're not guaranteed your next breath. So make your time count here. The main thing that you can do this morning, if you haven't already, is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That will guarantee your eternity. You will be with Christ for eternity. If not, like I said, that jail cell is going to slam shut and you will go to hell and it's not going to be fun. It's not a party like some, you know, some music says, right? So be focused on heaven. And the thing that you could do this morning is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you will go to heaven. To do that, all you have to do is repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent just means to turn around, means to say sorry, and believe that Jesus Christ came and died for all of your sins. You do that, and you will be saved. You will have guaranteed your eternity. Do that this morning. Don't leave here without doing it. You do not know what will happen tomorrow.